Well, good morning, Fairhaven Church. Great to see you. Thank you for praying for my wife and I as we went through. If you don't know uh, who I am, you came in the beginning of the year. My name is David Smith. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I had a full knee surgery replacement, and I'm working through it. So it's been, uh, it's been tough, but it's been great. I'm walking. Uh, the swelling is still a little bit there, but I'm so grateful to be up on my feet. So thank you for praying. And by the way, praying for many other people in our church family who suffer from physical illness and other things. So thank you so much for doing that. We missed you. We were online for the entire month of January as my leg was up and icing it. And so it's exciting to welcome those of you that are online. I've got to be honest with you, it's better to be in person. So it's great to be with you and to see your faces. And uh, I want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining us now. Classics is joining us. I want to welcome uh, Devin, uh, a guy who's been doing some work at our house, and his fiance Hannah, who uh, is joining us this, uh, this weekend. And so we're great, great to have them here with us as well. Grab your Bibles, church. We're going to be looking in the, uh, the book of Jude. A book that you probably have not been in, uh, probably at all, uh, or maybe at least in this year, I can probably, you know, guarantee you that. And we're going to look at two verses at the very end of Jude, and I'll explain why we're looking at the very two last verses there um, in the book of Jude. It's one chapter long, 25 verses that are there. You might want to read the whole chapter this week as uh, we'll be talking about it today. And so thank you. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest, it's great to have you here and all of our campuses. It's great to be able to connect with you. Do you know in 1815, if you know your history, and if you love history, Duke of Wellington had a battle against Napoleon. And here he is there. And he won that battle. And he won that battle handedly and was well known today as a result of that. The Duke of Wellington was a great military leader. He was touted with all kinds of military strategists. He was a defenseman who operated out of defense, then into offense, if you will, um, in the way he won battles. But he was harsh. He was tough on his troops. In fact, he was, if you Google him, you can see that he said things like to his troops, you're the scum of the earth. And so he was not very affirming in his life. And towards the end of his life, Duke of Wellington, as he was looking back on his life, somebody asked him this question. And he's actually well known for this one statement that he made. They said, you know, what would you do differently in your life if you were able to look back over your whole life as a commander, as a man uh, in your life, what would you do different? And he made this statement right here. He said this, I would give more praise. I would be more affirming to the people around me. And the reality is, I want to pick up on that as we enter into this new series, three weeks long only, believe it or not, a small little series, three weeks long, and I want you to know that what he says about his human relationships really relates to us in our spiritual relationships, that each of us should have a desire to praise God on a regular basis. That in our relationship with God, no matter what's going on, whether things are constant or whether they're changing or whether they are calm or chaotic in your life or whether they're peaceful or stressful, giving praise to God, catch this, giving praise to God will elevate your relationship with God. And that's the title of the series. And so if you want to know what this entire series is about, it's about us looking at doxologies in Scripture. I've never spoken on doxologies. 
You read them, you hear about them, you see them in hymns, you see them in songs. We sang them this morning, actually, in all of our campuses, doxologies. You may have a few doxologies that you memorized as a kid. I'm going to look at three doxologies with you today, and what I hope to happen over these next three weeks is that in your life and in my life, as I was sitting in a chair with my leg up, um, icing it, I recognized that even in that setting for me, I could give praise to God, and I could elevate my relationship with God, which I did. Hours upon hours sitting there, which I am not wired to sit in a chair. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm just not wired for that. And so what I want to do over these next three weeks is to look at doxologies in Scripture. Because in doxologies, what we'll see is this. We'll understand what God does and who God is. And we'll see all these characteristics and attributes of God, which then cause us to praise him. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, when we think of praising God, um, it goes without saying, I mean, we're in church, right? You might be singing some songs, and we might be reading some scripture, and we're looking at scripture here today as, as we're gathered together here. I want to tell you that praising God can go way beyond just a song. Am I right, church? It can go into a conversation that you have with God all day long. It can be in your prayer life. It can be in your personal devotions. It can be having a conversation with your spouse or your friends or your children where you affirm the fact of who God is and what God has done. And as you do that, it's really interesting that praising God elevates our relationship with him. There's so much that takes place in our life when that happens. And so we're starting this series, as I mentioned, the series is entitled Elevate where I'm hoping that these next three weeks, your spiritual life will be elevated, where as you go through the entire day, not just on Sunday, but throughout the entire week, and you have a running conversation with God about the fact that this is who you are, God, and this is what you've done, and praising God through words and through silent thoughts as you're sitting in your office or as you're sitting in a chair or or your car as you're traveling to work, as you begin to praise him by these thoughts about who he is and what he's done, it'll elevate. It elevates our relationship with God. It keeps you abreast of what God wants to do in our lives. Let me give you a couple reasons why Praising God is really, really important. I put the verses in your notes if you want to download them or if you want to look at them with your your small group. But here's what the doxology is. When you see a doxology in Scripture, in fact, some of our Bibles, you'll actually have over top of Jude chapter 24, or Jude verses, rather, uh, 24 and 25, you'll see the word doxology. And doxology simply means to express praise to God. To verbally express praise to God. You can do that silently. You can do that out loud. You can do that through song, as I mentioned. You can do that in a variety of different ways. And I want to challenge you over these next three weeks, as I've been doing it for almost five weeks now, sitting in a chair and expressing to God all that he is in my life. And it's amazing how my spirit was elevated and had a conversation with Kathy throughout the five weeks as we're sitting there, um, not only going through this surgery recovery, but our home is being remodeled, at least our bedroom is, and it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. And so you look past all the mess and you look past all the dust and you look past all all the pain and you can still elevate your relationship with God. It's absolutely amazing. A doxology expresses praise to God. See, doxologies teach us, you may want to take a screenshot of this, or if you want, write this down. This is what doxologies do, which is surprising to me that I've never, in the many, many years that I've been uh, speaking and, 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 and pastoring, I've never spoken on a doxology. I've read them. 
I've spoken them out loud. I've, uh, I've asked you to stand for doxologies, which we'll do at the end today before we have communion. Um, they're so important. Doxologies teach us to worship God because it tells us again who God is and what he's done. And then it teaches us about the God that we worship because there's aspects, there's attributes that you'll see today as we read in Jude, this little tiny letter that was written by Jude, and so I want you to see it. Let me just give you what the etymology of the word doxology is. It's two words put together, doxa and logos. It means doxa, which is praise or declaration or glory. Glory means to give weight. And so if you give weight to God in your life, you're praising him. If you make decisions because of what God has asked you to do, you're giving glory to God. If you're doing things in your life that will help you to walk and take the next right step in your spiritual life, you're giving glory to God. That's giving God weight or a declaration of praise is the doxa, and logos is a word, or to speak. And so doxology means to speak a word of praise. And when you do that, church, it elevates our relationship with God. And so I want to do that with you today. But let me give you a couple of reasons why doxologies are so important. Did you realize that if you wanted to, you could look through the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is broken up into five little books And at the end of each of those books is a doxology that usually ends with amen. Anybody know what amen means? Amen means be it, may it be so, or you can trust this saying. And that's what amen really means. And so when we say amen to one another, uh, or when we say amen at the end of a doxology, what we're saying is may it be so. This is who God is, and this is what he does, and it elevates our life in relationship with him. And so as we think about it, we're going to talk about how we can give a word or a declaration to speak about who God is. Let me give you reasons why we should do this. Number one is because the Bible instructs us. So there's, there's a reason why there's doxologies all through scripture. If you like to write down uh, specifics, there are 21 doxologies in the New Testament. So maybe this week you can just go and peruse. I'm only going to do three of them. Probably the most three famous, the most throughout history ones that have known. And uh, if you memorize these three, I guarantee you that they'll do something for you when you're in a situation where you're going through pain or confusion or dust or chaos that you can actually say these uh, doxologies out loud because you'll speak words of praise. The Bible instructs us to do that. Secondly, it facilitates access to God. It's really hard to be thinking about all the wrong things in your life when you're literally speaking about God. Would you agree with that? Think about that for a minute. I mean, it's hard for our minds to be thinking about what's wrong and the wrong things that God doesn't want us to be thinking about when you're actually expressing words to God. And so it facilitates access to God when we read these doxologies. It places us in the center of God's presence. I found that sitting in this little chair with my leg up I found myself in my own little sanctuary, missing this one, frankly, but I was there and expressing to God who he was, and I was right there, his presence was right there, which is a reminder again to me, and so I want to tell it to you, that God's presence is not just here, God's presence can be in your living room, in your boardroom, in your classroom, in your condo, in your house, in your basement, with your kids, on the golf course. Oh wait, it's too cold yet. It can be anywhere where we can experience God because it places us in his presence. Here's another reason, because it chases away despair. When you express to God who he is, it chases away despair. All of a sudden, life looks different because you see it through the lenses of who God is. 
and what he does in life. Here's another reason, because it's an effective weapon against the enemy. That if you listen to self-talk, or if you struggle with thoughts in your life that just weigh you down and you feel like you're carrying around your past and perhaps you're dealing with something in your life that just seems to happen over and over, one of the best ways to chase away the enemy in your life is to speak a doxology, is to speak an expression of praise to God in your life. And then here's the last one, he deserves it. Is that right, church? So here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna say this and you're gonna say amen because may it be so, right? And so here we go, he deserves it. That's right. May it be so that we go through these next three weeks and we elevate um, our relationship with God as we look at these doxologies. What's interesting is I was looking through some verses about this as I was studying, um, you know, preparing for this uh, series. And all of a sudden I read a verse that I have read many times and I didn't see it. So one of the things that I love being able to do is being able to say to you in the study that I do, let me show you what I found. Let me show you what I discovered It's really amazing. Here's a verse about Jesus and his disciples because you know the situation when he was having the Last Supper. It's from the Last Supper that we actually have communion. And so you came on a good Sunday. If you're here as a guest, um, we're so glad you're here. And I'll explain, you know, what this means and how you can do this and whether you should do this if you're a guest or not. And so we're going to get to that in just a second. But as Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, after they were done, Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, which many of us have already been there, which is amazing. And he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, there's this little verse, and I didn't see it. And let me show it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 26, and this is what it says. And when they, that's Jesus and the disciples, and when they had sung a hymn, that's a doxology. When they were together with Jesus and Jesus was modeling to them to express a word of praise to God the Father because he was going to go to the garden and say, Lord, is is there any other way for this to happen? I mean, is there any other way? And he says, not my will, but yours be done. So they sang a song, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, which then, right after that, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's absolutely amazing. Let me read a a doxology for you. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Your Bibles are open. You got to see it. This is one of the best doxologies in all of the scripture, I believe. In fact, it's been touted to be the fullest and most beautiful doxology in all of the Bible. I'm sure you've heard this before. If you've been in church for any length of time, and if you haven't, man, you're going to want to memorize this. Here's what it says. Church, would you stand as I read this doxology, as you express it to God in all of our campuses, even if you're online, it's a little odd if you're in a coffee shop, but stand anyway. Would you do that? If you love God, stand, classics, all of our campuses. Let me stand, let's stand with you. I want to stand with you, and here it is. Now to him who is able to keep you from all stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And the church said, say that to the people around you. Amen. And find your seat. Just say it to the people around you. Amen. And have a seat. May it be so. Amen. 
there's two things that we see in this declaration here today about who God is and what God does. And I want you to see it. I don't want you to miss it. They're so simple and yet it's so profound when you begin to apply it into your own life. Jude here in verse one, if you want to go up to verse one, we read in there that Jude is the brother of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, which means that Jude was also a brother of Jesus. I've said this to you before at Easter, and I'll say it again. What would it take for you to believe your brother who tells you that he is the son of God? I've got two brothers. It would take a lot. (laughs) Jude decided that after Jesus walked away from the tomb after the resurrection, he must be the son of God. That's what it would take, wouldn't it? For your brother to come back from the dead uh, in order for you to believe that he was the son of God. And that's exactly what happened in Jude's life. He had a transforming uh, change in his life because his brother, half-brother Jesus, walked away from the grave and he writes this little letter and he starts out by talking to us about the fact that what God wants to do is have a relationship with you and keep you nearby. And then he talks, read this sometime this week, then he talks about the fact that people have drifted And sometimes they've drifted because really they're just religious. They don't really care about a relationship. They're just religious. They just go through the motions. And then he gets to the very end and he says, now, now to him, God, the father, now to him who keeps you from stumbling and to present you before God in his presence. Two things in there that are very, very practical about what we learn as an expression of praise to God. Let me give them to you. Let's talk around them a little bit. The first is that as we praise God through Jude verses 24 and 25, we recognize that God never quits on us. He never, ever quits on us. He will keep us from stumbling. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. That's not what Jude is saying. What Jude is saying is that in the mistakes you make, if you're a follower of Jesus, so Jude is talking to you, and this doxology is for you, wherever you're at on any campus, if you're a follower of Jesus. In other words, if you've gone into a relationship with him, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, because that relates to the second thing that Jude says here as an expression of praise. And so he says, God will never, ever quit on you. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because as we look at our lives and as we look at our relationships and as we look at our culture and all these things, it'd be very easy to be overwhelmed and weighed down. But God never quits on us. In fact, he will never throw in the towel. You know what the throw in the towel, the phrase, you know, means? Some of you probably know. I didn't know until about three decades ago, actually. It's a, it's a speech uh, sentence or it's a figure of speech that comes from boxing where the coach throws in the towel. In fact, let me give you an image of what it looks like. This is what it looks like. When the coach has a towel up in the air because he knows the boxer isn't doing well, he's getting pretty beat up, and he's not going to win this battle. And so what the coach does is throw the towel in, and throwing the towel in means you quit. Aren't you glad to know that as you're fighting through life that God never throws a towel in on you? He never quits on you. That's what Jude is saying here. Now to him who keeps us from stumbling, he'll never quit on you. I don't know about you, but that motivates me in my own life to think about who God is in my life and it elevates my relationship that even though I make mistakes and you make mistakes, if you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't quit on you. He never will. He'll never throw in the towel on you. 
there's a man, I was doing some research, and there's a man, and here's a picture of him. His name is James Alexander Hall. James Alexander Hall is in the Hall of Fame for boxing. James Alexander Hall was three-time Mr. Tennessee and three-time Mr. Chattanooga, because he was from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a golden block boxer, and he had several brothers that were boxers as well. His younger brother was Alfred Eugene Hall, who happens to be Kathy's father, my wife's father, which makes so much more sense now after what had happened in our first month of dating. Started dating Kathy, and uh, one day I went over to pick her up to take her for dinner. And so his, Kathy's dad, his name is, I call him dad, but his real name is Gene, even though Alfred is his first name. So A.E. Hall, he calls himself. And so I was sitting in the back uh, deck with him outside. It was a nice summer day. And we're sitting there, and we're just having some, you know, talk. And he's, I was playing soccer back then, and so I had long hair. Yeah, I had a mullet. Yeah, picture that if you can right now. I don't know if that'll help you or not, but I'm sitting there, and he's looking around my neck like this wondering if I'm ever going to cut my hair first. You know, that was a concern to him. And then he said, out of the blue, this true story, out of the blue, he says, hey, you want to trade punches? I've told this story once before. I know some of my close friends know this story. And I'm thinking, why in the world would this man want to trade punches? Now, I didn't know that he was a Golden Glove boxer as well. My father-in-law had a full-ride scholarship to the University of Miami in Florida for boxing. And so he said, hey, you want to trade punches? Now, that's a really, really bad question because think about this for a minute, all right? Process this with me a little bit. I mean, if I hit him too soft, I'm a loser. And if I hit him too hard, I'm a loser. And if I say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm really a loser. So, I mean, this is a lose, lose, lose proposition, right? With my future father-in-law, perhaps, you know? And so we're sitting there. And so I said, okay. And, uh, you know, he's a much smaller man than I am. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I, I, this one's in the bag, no problem. And so he says, you go first. And I go, okay. So he stands up, and literally, I punched him in the arm. Boom. And I thought it was okay. I thought it was pretty good, you know? Uh, I moved him a little bit. You know, he's like 110 pounds. I'm like 270. And so I hit him, you know, and he moved a little bit. And he goes, that's all you got? <laughs> and then he hit me in my left arm, And you could tell he was a boxer because my entire arm went numb for like four weeks. (laughs) It was unbelievable. It hit me so hard. I was like, wow, you know what you're doing, you know? And so he hit me so hard because he was a golden glove boxer. We trade punches that day. Here's the good news. You might be trading punches with life today. And you might be ready to throw the towel in. You know what will motivate you not to do that? A God who will never throw in the towel against you. So if you're here today and you feel like you're trading punches with life and you're trading punches in relationships and it's difficult for you, I got good news for you because Jude says this. Now, look at it, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, he will never quit on you. He will never give up on you. He will never throw in the towel on you. You know, all through the New Testament, there are metaphors of this very fact. 
that God wants to keep us. God wants to care for us. God is watching over us. God cares about you. Even in the mistakes that you and I make, he loves us and wants to bring us back in order to elevate our relationship with him so that in confession we can come and say, Lord, that's not who I want to be. It's not what I want to do in my life. And so it's really amazing that we can see these things in this relationship that we have with God. And there's metaphors all through scripture. The most confusing one of them, I think, is when we read in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, we read in there that Jesus is the good shepherd. That's really confusing. Because if you know anything at all about sheep, sheep are completely helpless. Let me illustrate that to you. And so when Jesus uses this example, it's a confusing example because, I mean, I can see like a lion tamer, you know, that God tames us as lions and he makes us domestic, you know. But no, he uses good shepherd. He uses an animal and he uses a shepherd, an animal that is completely helpless, if you really know. And I've done some research, which is really interesting. I want to show you some pictures about some sheep that I didn't really even know and understand. This is what happens in John chapter 10. This is what we read. It says this, the sheep, that's you and I, because he's the good shepherd and he'll never throw in the towel. He's not going to quit on you. The shepherd hears his voice and he calls his own. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows you by name. You're not a number. You're not lost in a crowd. And he leads them out and he goes before them. So he's in front of us and he's making sure that everything's safe and he will help us. And so he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. It's a really confusing metaphor because sheep are absolutely helpless. In three ways, sheep are helpless. There's probably more than these three, but let me give you three of them. Did you realize that sheep, the reason why they come together and they gather together in flocks is because when a sheep sits down, they have a tendency not to be very balanced in their life. And if they're by themselves, there's a chance that they will roll over. And so when a sheep is alone, see this metaphor working for you and I? When a sheep is alone, the chances of them rolling over or falling over or turning over in the grass or in a hole is high. That's why they sit together and so that they help each other so that when a sheep sits down, the sheep around him sort of help him and, and keep him upright because when a sheep sits by himself and rolls over, it's called casting and this is what it looks like. A sheep is literally rolls on his back and when a sheep rolls on his back, it is impossible for them to get back on their feet. They call it casting. I didn't know that. And what happens is when a sheep is on his back, it looks kind of odd and weird, but it's dangerous because look at this sheep, he's casting. When a sheep ends up this way, they've got 24 hours before they'll die because gas builds up in the stomach because they're not right side up. And as gas builds up in their stomach, after 24 hours, their lungs are suffocated and they die. What useless animals. It's unbelievable. And yet Jesus says, I am the good shepherd for us as sheep. And the truth of the matter is, if you're alone, it feels as if perhaps you might be casting and you're upside down in life and it feels like you're just dying on the inside. I have great news for you. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling, he'll never give up on you. Never. The second thing of why sheeps are useless is because when a predator comes, you would think that sheep would be smart enough to run. They're not. 
When a predator shows up with sheep, here's what what they do, which I didn't know either until I was doing some research. Uh, What sheep do is they actually get petrified and they freeze. They don't do anything, which means that if a predator comes, they're dead. So not only if they're alone, they die. When they find themselves with a predator, they freeze, they paralyze, they don't know what to do, and they stand there, and the predator's able to get them, and they die. So one of the reasons why sheep are useless is because when it comes to a predator, you need a good shepherd who will chase them off. And even though a sheep has gotten themselves into a bad spot, the good shepherd is the one that rescues them and brings them back. Thirdly, here's the reason why sheep are useless, because they will eat anything indiscriminately. So they'll eat poisonous roots. If you throw a bottle can, a can opener or a bottle cap in a field, they'll eat it. They'll eat anything that they find themselves in front of. And so the good shepherd has to make sure that the sheep is in the right spot, eating the right things, doing the right things in order for life to happen because they can be killed also by the things that they eat indiscriminately in their life. It's absolutely amazing. The good shepherd. Take a look at it again. Here we go, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Jude gives us a second reason why we should be praising God and expressing words to him, and that's this, because God always protects us. He always protects us. And he protects us in several different ways. Let me give it to you so that you can think this through because this is so rich. These two verses have so much in them. Really, we could do a whole series on this one verse. That he protects us and in protecting us, he does that through salvation. He protects us in our life because he took the penalty that belongs to us. And so as we go through this series, as we have communion today, I want to make sure that every one of us, as we begin this new year, even though we're a month in, I want to make sure that all of us find ourselves on the same page. You see, a relationship with God happens when you recognize that God has sent his son to pay a penalty that you and I deserve. And so he provides salvation. Did you know that there are three parts to salvation? You might want to think this through a little bit because these three parts are so, so important for us because in verse 25, Jude is talking about heaven. Verse 24 is about earth. Verse 25 is about heaven. Three parts to salvation. The first is that he provides for us in salvation. He provides an out from the penalty of sin in our life. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the penalty has been paid for you. That's past. If you've made that decision previous to today, that is past. Here's the second part of salvation. It's present. That through salvation, you can be free from the power of sin in your life. That God wants to protect you even from the things that will harm you on a day-by-day basis and help you to walk away from the things that we struggle with and are tempted by. And so there's a present aspect to salvation. And then here's the third part. It's the presence of God when we get to heaven, that there, there will be no sin. And so we'll be protected completely from sin because there won't be any when we get to heaven. It's gone. 
So there's a, pre- there's a past part to salvation, there's a present part to salvation, there's a future part to salvation. I grew up, and I don't know if you did or not, I grew up where people told me, Dave, you gotta be very careful. Because sin is fun. Anybody hear that before? What they didn't tell me is that it's not kind. It destroys me. It destroys you. What a great thing here that God wants to protect us. And he does that through salvation, through a relationship. He does that because he wants to take away the penalty, death. In fact, let me say it this way. You see, God treated Jesus like we deserve. And he treated us like Jesus deserved. He sacrificed his one and only son in order that you and I can be free of the penalty. We can be free of the power. And one day we'll be free by the presence of God as we're with him. Unbelievable. If you think about it, he protects us. Second way he protects us is this way. He protects us through misfortunes. Because some of you are thinking, wait a minute. He he doesn't throw in the towel. He never quits on me. And he always protects me. Then why am I dealing with what I'm dealing with? And why are you going through what you're going through? Why is it so hard? Why have you been battling for years with this same problem in your life? Or maybe there's a, a physical illness, or maybe there's a relationship that's been so, so difficult. I mean, how do you square all of that? If this doxology is, is real and applicable to our lives, how is it that we can say that God protects us even when we're dealing with difficult things in our life? Well, here's how. And in fact, if you're going through that, here's what I would challenge you. I would challenge you to read Isaiah chapter 61. If you know someone who's going through a really, really difficult situation where they're experiencing misfortune of some kind in their life, where it's something that they didn't expect or something that they are confused by or some difficulty in their life, some misfortune, read Psalm 61, the entire Psalm. Because Isaiah uses a beautiful phrase in there about our misfortunes. Here's how God protects us. You ready for this? This is how God can protect you, even if you're having misfortunes. It's through misfortunes. It's not instead of misfortunes, because we all have misfortune. How many of you would agree with me by raised hand in all of our campuses? Life is hard. Can I see him? Life is hard. Look around. You're in great company if you're here today. (laughs) Life is hard. Let me show you what Isaiah chapter 61 says, that God can make beauty for ashes. He doesn't say beauty instead of ashes. He says beauty for ashes. That God can protect you so much that even through misfortunes, he can create beauty in the midst of the ashes that you and I might be experiencing. I don't know about you, but that elevates for me the idea of my relationship with God. That he'll never throw in the towel. He'll never quit. And he'll protect me my whole life. He'll protect you your whole life. Even in the trouble and the hardship of life, things you didn't see coming, he can make beauty for ashes in our life. There's one more way, third way of where God protects us, and that's this, where he protects us by his influence and greatness and authority and power. You see it there in verse 25? His influence His influence is so great. It's his glory, his influence in our life that if you allow his influence to influence you and not culture, not somebody else, not a relationship, but allow him to influence you to experience his greatness, to experience his authority and his power in your life. Church, as we look at these doxologies over the next three weeks, here's what we're gonna do. 
We're going to be giving praise to God, which will elevate our relationship with God. Are you with me on that? Let's do that together over these next three weeks. I encourage you to read Jude 24 and 25 over the next week, every single day. And here's what, how it reads. Now, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, never throws a talent, never quits, and to present you blameless, blameless through salvation, even through misfortune, blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He loves to do this. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. And the church said, amen. amen. May it be so.